Hey everybody, welcome to Roger Hurricane Wilson's American Music Show. And uh, this week I'm going to kind of do something a little bit different. Uh, back in November of uh, 2017, I was uh, up in uh, New Jersey to my childhood hometown, a little town called Keensburg, New Jersey, where I grew up until I was about age 14. Then I went away to school in the South and then came back for about a year and then been back in the South ever since, uh, playing guitar and being on the radio and doing a lot of different things. Anyway, this is just an interview. It was done by a guy named John Schneider, who's a videographer, and he does a lot of uh, things on the Jersey Shore. Uh, you can find him at uh, jerseybayshorecountry.com. He's got a lot of great videos and a lot of history about the Jersey Shore and that area. And uh, so basically what I'm going to do is air this interview that I did back in November of 2017, and I hope you enjoy it. You're hearing it right here on Roger Hurricane Wilson's American Music Show. Hello, everybody. It's John Schneider, your host for Jersey Bay Shore Country. This is an episode, uh, one of my favorites, actually, because it's all about music, and we're going to be talking to a musician during the program. Now, I, I just finished a documentary, eight parts, and as a matter of fact, about Kingsburg, New Jersey. It's quite a history it had. And in my research, I ran across a guy, a musician, who grew up in Kingsburg, moved out of Kingsburg a little while ago, and lives down in the Atlanta area. But I came across the name Roger Hurricane Wilson. So I said to myself, you know, um, I'm going to find out a little bit more about him. So I called him up. And, asked him how he was doing, and uh, I said, you know, I'm thinking about having a big party, a big event at the end of the eight-part series. Would you like to come up and, and hang out and play, and you can stay with me, etc.? So he said, sure. <laughs> and uh, I picked him up about a week ago from the airport, and we've just had a ball. Uh, we've uh, been doing some gigging. He let me uh, sing the blues with him. Maybe I'll show you that a little bit later. And he uh, did a lot of original songs about Kingsburg, and we're going to listen to some of those as well. But in the meantime, I want you to meet him. Here he is, Roger Hurricane Wilson. How you doing, man? Doing great. Now, Roger has written a book. It's called, oddly enough, Roger Wilson Hurricane. And I told you his middle name was Hurricane. And we're going to kind of talk a little bit about the book because this is his story. And so I kind of want to start with the question that, how in the world did you become a musician? What, what what led to it? Well, I started when I was nine, and I remember growing up in Kingsburg. I was um, I was in Boy Scouts with this kid up the street. He was taking guitar lessons. I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And my mom signed me up, and I started doing it. And it it kind of came natural to me, although it was just uh, I don't know. I, I, my teacher used to get really really mad at me. The whole story is in the book. It it uh, starts out in Kingsburg, and it goes through several years. And I never, my teacher was always mad at me because I never would really practice what he told me to practice. I'd always start picking stuff out by myself. But I got through it. It came natural. It was fun. And then I kept playing guitar. And then in the fifth grade, I uh, I started doing that in the fourth grade. And I guess in the fifth grade, I started, I wanted to, I always wanted to play drums as a kid. What kid didn't ever want to play drums? So anyway, uh, the Kingsburg School, public school band at the time didn't, uh, they had too many, uh, too many drummers already. So I had to pick up the trumpet. So I, I started playing trumpet, did that through through school, but I always stayed with the guitar. And then uh, when I graduated from school in uh, 1967 from Kingsburg Public School, I went away to Georgia to uh, prep school. And the reason I, I went there is because my mama was from Georgia. My dad was from Jersey, so I've got two lines of uh, the north and south running in my family here. But uh, Kingsburg at the time didn't have the high school. There was no high school here, but it had just been approved and was getting ready to be built. Mm -hmm. But but they went through, I mean, they were having parades and marches to try to get a high school. Everybody was always being bussed out to Middletown. 
And so uh, rather than, and they were transitioning to other schools also, to Middletown and then uh, a few other, a couple other schools. And my folks didn't think that that was right for me. So my mom remembered a uh, military school in Georgia and we had been to Georgia to visit. So it, it it felt good. It was a comfort zone for me. I had relatives there, you know, uh, grandparents and things, cousins and all that. So it was a, it was a good fit. And so I went away there in 67. I graduated in 72. But while there, um, I always say on stage that I was, I'd go to concerts and I, I was in the band there also. And I, I loved music. And I always say that I went to a concert one time when I stood a little bit too close to the Allman Brothers band. And uh, I stood about eight feet from Dwayne Allman watching him play. And it was just amazing. I'd, and I'd already been playing. I was 17 then, and I'd already been playing since I was nine. So I, you know, I had a handle on reading music and notes and this and that and playing and I had an ear and all that. But I'd never seen anybody play guitar like that. I mean, just standing there playing. It was just, it was, I, I went in, I came out different than I went in that room in Atlanta that night. So I just said, well, this this is what I got to do. I just got to bear down on it. So any of the military aspirations I might have had went out the window. Uh, any any other, anything else would have been gone. And yeah. and the music just just grabbed me, and and I just I had to go with it, you know. So you you, you were influenced by the Almond Brothers. What what was your favorite Almond Brothers song? Oh man, well I mean there's a God there's a load of them. They've got such classics. I mean there's different things. I mean. The stuff that Dwayne did, you know, when they started out doing Trouble No More, which was their first song they ever recorded. To uh, I do a song now with my band called You Don't Love Me. It's an old blues song by a guy named Willie Cobbs that the Allman Brothers did live at the Fillmore. And that's a fun song to do. Uh, then you've got the ones that Greg wrote, like um, Sweet Melissa. Oh, right, and then, right, then he did, then he did this, the what that what that did for me was when Dwayne Allman got killed in uh, 1971. I was a senior in high school. And I was already pretty much bearing down on music in general. I mean, everybody from Eric Clapton to the, some of the B.B. King, the people like that, I just loved guitar. I loved playing guitar. When Dwayne got killed in 1971, it was like a JFK moment for me. I mean, I remember going to Kingsbury Public School when I was in the fifth grade when you know JFK got killed. Well, this, was that, this was that kind of moment. It, it, it struck me really hard because I was already really bearing down on it. But when he passed away... There was an, an anthology album that was released about a year or so later, and it had a big book in there of about Dwayne, about him studying the blues, and he mentioned the blues and how it went back. And they were playing things like by Statesboro Blues was by Blind Willie McTell, a Georgia musician. Done somebody wrong was you know him playing slide guitar it was an old Elmore James song, guy from Chicago, you know from Mississippi to Chicago. So these were all the blues, and he was mentioning guys like T Bone Walker, Blind Willie McTell, Elmore James. All these old blues players, you know, that that went back, and and I was going, well, whatever's there, you got, I got to remember it. So I remember I was nineteen, eighteen, nineteen years old, and I went to Red Bank to a, a record store because my first teaching job, teaching, was back in seventy two to seventy three when I came back here from after graduating. I went to Brookdale for one year. My first professional show that I played was at Brookdale at a concert there, and. uh so I was here for a year, so I went over to Red Bank to a record store, and I, I tried to find these albums, and I found uh, Blind Willie McTell, and I found Robert Johnson, and I found T-Bone Walker, and I found Elmore James. I found all these at records, yeah. and I bought them, and I listened to them, and I couldn't really tell somewhat I could tell what they were doing compared to what the Allman Brothers had done. You know, and I, I really didn't have the ear that I have now, but I, but I had one. I could, you know, but I couldn't pick it up, but I, I'm just walking around going, I know what's in here, you know, 
I know whatever it is that, that he's talking about is in here. And so I felt like it was a smart thing I was doing, not knowing what I was doing, not 19 years old, running around with a bunch of classic blues albums. And I thought, this, was, uh, this is where this stuff came from. This is where he got what he got. And over the years now, it's just transitioned back into the fact that I ended up teaching blues in the schools, going back and teaching, that finding out that American music derived from all that uh, yeah. African-American music that came out of the Mississippi mm-hmm. Delta that transcended everywhere. Now, I, I know you grew up on Howard Avenue in Keensburg, and, and that's, I think, when you got your first guitar. Uh, what kind of guitar was it? What was your very, mine was an Elvis Presley guitar. <laughs> what kind of guitar did you have? The very, well, the very first one was one that my mom rented from the, the teacher I was t- taking lessons from. Yeah, about a year or so later, I got an electric guitar, and I still have it. It's an, it was an, it was an really? old Atlas wow, guitar, wow. and it was, uh, it was white. The funny thing was, my I, I wanted, uh, but I always wanted a red guitar. So my dad took my guitar apart and he spray painted. it. I still have it. That was my first one. And then later on, when I went away to school, you know, I, I mean, I got a couple of uh, electrics, and uh, but then I bought my first um, Gibson guitar when I was away at school. I think I was seventeen. Well, right after, you know, about the time I got eaten up with the music in, in Atlanta and Georgia. You know, I was starting to really just bear down on it, and it was what I wanted to do. You know, I ask this of, of almost all uh, musicians about their instruments. Uh, uh, some guitar players have hundreds of guitars. How many How many guitars do you have in your collection? Well, I've got maybe about about a, about a dozen or so. I've got I've got several that I, I keep handy that I use on the road a lot. Um, I, I do a whole separate acoustic set from my band set, and so uh, I've got uh, some... I've got a, a, an endorsement with Taylor Guitars, and I've got several Taylors that I play, and then I've got some Fenders, and I got, I've got an old Gibson. I got to be uh, my first Les Paul guitar that I bought was when I was about, I guess I was 21, 20 or 21, when I bought that. And uh, then later on, I would come back to New York and New Jersey touring, and I got to be friends with Les Paul. And I had him wow. sign my guitar, and then he and I showed him. I told him that, and, you know, that of course there were so many guitar players that were in, influenced by him anyway. That, but he really appreciated the lower level guys like me that were like working to try to get to somewhere, and he really he really endorsed it and, and uh, inspired us. So you were playing electric guitar in a, in a small house. Uh, wh- what was that like? Did your parents go crazy? Did, did they could they stand all the noise that an electric guitar made? How, how did you handle that? They encouraged me. I mean, they they were all about. It. I, I I had to. There were certain times I couldn't play it. But one time, there's this one invention. Now, the house next door to us on Howard Avenue had been uh, occupied by some neighbors that passed away um, when I was very, very young. They were close friends, good people. Mm-hmm. I wrote songs about them. I mean, but they were gone. And my grandparents bought the house next door as a summer house. So one summer day, I was up in my room, and my grandfather had had a shortwave radio and, and all this stuff. And it was a couple items that he wasn't using. But anyway, I had my amplifier in my room. <laughs> And I had an old Hallicrafters speaker, yeah. shortwave radio. It was a speaker that I had attached to it. And I was paralleling a couple of amplifiers together to make it as loud as I could. And I was up in my room on a summer day with the windows open. And I was trying to get, I was trying to get the Jimi Hendrix sounds. And I, mean, I, was, I was ripping. And I mean, it was really, it was going out all over the neighborhood. And my, my grandma ran up the stairs in, into my room. And she ran in going... How much more of these do you think we're gonna take? How <laughs> much more? <laughs> I mean, I mean, the look on her face was was priceless. But, and I knew I knew I was doing it to, to you know basically hack everybody off. What was the first song that you remember being able to play all the way through that you felt you know like pretty good about after you played it? You went, wow, I could play that song. Well, actually, you know, my 
aside from the silly songs that you have to play first when you're learning to read yeah. music and play, um, actually there were a couple songs came out like uh, Wipeout and Walk Don't Run by The Ventures. Okay. And I learned how to play them, so it was, uh, it was fun. And Roger, tell me about your first public appearance as a band or as a, as a solo performer. What was that like? What was the feeling that you were feeling as a result of standing up in front of a bunch of people and playing? Well, when I was like taking lessons as a kid, we did some recitals for for the music teacher, and uh, I remember there was a church over in Atlantic Highlands that we did like a and four of us got on stage playing our guitars. It was a recital. We were playing stuff note for note, which was kind of just it was boring for me. I mean, it, and I don't know if that we sounded any good. Then, but then playing trumpet, um, I played. I used to play taps for the city of Kingsburg. I mean, I played at the monuments on, when I was ten or eleven. There's a newspaper clipping of me playing taps at the monument on Carr Avenue. Wow. In Kingsburg, wow. for a Veterans Day, and I, I, we did it another day um, at City Hall, I think on Memorial Day. So there were several things that came out. Those were always pretty nerve wracking. My first, uh, and then when I went away to school, I started playing in bands, and we were doing stuff. So it, it was, uh, it was coming natural. The stage thing was kind of fun. And then when I came back to Georgia in '72, '73, I got with some friends, and we actually got a band together that really sounded pretty good. And we did our first big concert at Brookdale College. And I was, by then, I had learned how to play from the heart, more or less. Before that, I didn't know how to do that. All I had, knew how to do was read the music, play the songs, learn, learn the chords, play it. And you're going through the motions and it's going, yeah, okay, that sounds good. What next? Anyway, after I learned how to, when I saw Dwayne and I saw what goes into like just playing with feeling and, and knocking it out, I forgot. He's a kid with the audience now. I said, oh, you know, I'll get done with a song that I really like have gotten into and... I'll just tell the audience and say, I'm, I'm really sorry, I forgot y'all were here. You know, that, so, yeah. so really, I mean, yeah. that's what happens. You just, you get in the zone and, and, it's, and it's fun. And, uh, and if it sounds good, that's even better. It's Roger Hurricane Wilson here. You listen to a special edition of an interview that I did with a videographer out of um, New Jersey in my childhood hometown of Kingsburg, New Jersey. Uh, but he, he has a program called the Jersey Bay Shore uh, which is a jerseybayshorecountry.com uh, website with a lot of great videos and a lot of great uh, programs I know that he's produced. His name is John Schneider, good friend of mine, so I wanted to share it with you here uh, on the American Music Show. So continuing on right now, this is a little song that I was uh, playing along with some folks uh, in between on the interview back up in New Jersey in uh, November of uh, 2017. And you're hearing it right here on Roger Hurricane Wilson's American Music Show. fun and uh and if it sounds good that's even better you know i i remember uh, some of my childhood dreams uh, when i was a kid i wanted to be an actor and and when uh, uh i got older and realized well i wasn't going to be the superstar i thought i was going to be i had to kind of adjust that uh, that vision to accommodate what reality was all about uh did you go through that at all did you have any sort of childhood dream about being a musician and have you met your expectations uh, or did you have to adjust too? Because you know you you've been through a lot. You've taught and you've played and you've done a lot of different things. So uh, what is that? What has that been like? I never wanted to go hungry. So what happened was after high school, I, I was able to get a job teaching guitar lessons. I'd had so many guitar lessons that I thought maybe I could teach because I, I had a really crummy job that I hated out of high school, and I I walked off of it and I went to a music store. 
and I gave him a phone. I, I called him and I said, I, I needed a job teaching because I had to do something else besides working in this factory where I was working. It was horrible. And uh, I kind of bluffed my way in. The, I, I ended up telling the lady, she says, well, what's your teaching experience? And I, thought, I said, well, I've been, I've been teaching for four years, you know. <laughs> and I had never taught any, anything. Oh, my God. But I had taken enough guitar lessons sure. and been through enough books and had done, already had, I mean, by that, this time I was 18. I've been playing since I was nine. So I had experience. I knew, I knew that if I could sit down and teach somebody the way I learned, they would learn something. So anyway, one thing went to another, and I'm, and I'm almost kind of reciting the book here because there's chapters in there that kind of that run through it. What happened was I got a, I went to Ma a little store in Matawan, New Jersey, and I told the lady I'd been teaching, and she, she liked me, and she thought I was clean cut, and 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 you know all that, which I was, uh, somewhat. But um, then it was my the day for me to go to work, and uh, so I went to I went to the store, and and uh, all of a sudden they. I said, well, Roger, here's your first student. And it was a little bitty girl, about seven years old, and she walked in, and she had, was holding a guitar in one hand like this. And I'm going, all right, well, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but I sat down with her, and I, I taught her the first note, E, on the string, and how to play the note F. And you just, I just realized that you, got, you just got to sit and take pains with them the way somebody did with me. And I took them, and I just showed her, and I said, you practice these notes this week, and and then it evolved, and it went into uh, more students, you know, that were coming in, and, and I was teaching everybody the same way out of the same book. Now, now, let me ask you. I asked you a question about your career, and and you started talking about teaching. Um, um, is that is that a desire that you have about teaching, as opposed to being out there uh, performing? Because you seem to have a passion for teaching. Uh, well, I love it, but it's but it's how I survived too, and yeah. it, it was how I built my chops up. What I was what I was trying to get to was that after I did that, uh, I taught at that store for a while, but then I went back to Georgia, and I had an opportunity to open a studio with somebody else. So what happened was, um, and this all led into me being able to play professionally because I couldn't just go out and try to get a gig because I didn't have the the experience of of that. You know, I, I really needed to play more and just kind of develop my chops. So I opened this uh, studio with another guy, and I started developing a clientele. What happened was, after that, I was teaching everybody the same way for a long time, and I kept doing, doing that. But then one day, some kid came in, and he had a guitar, and he was a nice, clean-cut kid. He had, was wearing a school uniform from a private school, and he had a record album in one hand, and he had a guitar in the other. And this is what set the whole thing in motion. This is, kind of, this is answering your question. He says, uh, he says, uh, he says, well, he says, man, I, said, I want you to show me something on this album. And I'm going, and, I, and he didn't know how to play. I said, look, I said, uh, you, you don't really know how to play yet. You need to learn a couple of things. You know, you need to learn some basic techniques, some, a few notes and all that. He goes, yeah, he says, I know. But he says, just show me something I can have some fun with. <laughs> and I went, okay. And in the book, I, I mentioned that I think the album was Led Zeppelin IV. I think it was Led Zeppelin IV. And there's a song in there called Black Dog. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I... I put the album, then back then we didn't have internet, we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have anything. We, I had records that I would put on the turntable and ruin the record to learn the lick. You put the needle down, try to learn the lick. and yeah. So I put the record on, the kid's sitting there and he's playing guitar. And he's, well, I'm, no, I'm tuning up to the guitar. I'm, and there's a lick and it goes, it goes like, dan, 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 you know, and I was just tuning up to the lick. And he goes, he goes, yeah, show me that, show me that. <laughs> you know, and I'm going, okay. So I, I start showing him the lick. He, he says, yeah, man. And he, he was sitting there and he was just like, 
fighting with it and he's trying to get it and he's eking it out, you know. And at the end of the lesson, he goes, yeah, man, I'll have it perfect next week, man. I'm going to practice it, you know. And so he leaves and the kid was glowing. I mean, there was a, there was an aura around the kid. You know, he left and he, and he, and he went and I just sat there myself thinking, and here I, now was, I'm 19 years old and, and I'm in my own little uh, lost kid in a garret somewhere trying to make a living playing, teaching. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, man, what just happened? I didn't know what happened. I was like, this is, this is different. Right after that happened, my phone didn't stop ringing for 10 years. I mean, I had kids calling me. I had kids carpooling, four kids at a time with different record albums coming over to me because I was the cool guy that would teach them what they wanted to hear. Everybody else around was teaching. Technique? Well, there was old guys teaching out of the book the way I was. It was boring. It was, it was boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you were catering to the passion of, of the student as opposed to the technique, right? Exactly. Yeah. But then the parents honed in on it. And then I was, later on, I had, one time I had a, a list of, I had 50, I averaged 50 students a week for years. And then I had, and at one time I had, actually had 80 and I thought my head was coming off. But, uh, but basically I kept a list of, of about 50 and I kept, I've got that reputation of, of, peop, of people learning what they wanted to learn. If they had a song, they'd come in and learn it. And I would put it on the spot and learn the song. And after years of that, every day, I, would, I developed an ear, and I developed chops, and I, would be, I could play in bands, and I could hear stuff, and I could do it. And so it just evolved into that. But then also, at the same time, I, I always thought I could do things from the inside, and I had a broadcasting career. I was in radio, so I, I met a lot of people in the music business from that, and I had a career that way, and it ended up going, working at, I ended up working at CNN in Atlanta for 10 years during the Gulf War and all that. And so both careers kind of gelled. And kept me. And the basic thing I told you, the first thing I said to answer the question is, I never wanted to go hungry. I never wanted to. I always wanted a roof over my head. I wanted to, but I still wanted to play music, but I didn't want to live on the street doing it. So, so you're 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 touring. You got three guys in the band, right? So, what is your career today? What are some of the things and the kinds of things that you're doing that um, that are fulfilling to you besides the teaching? I have two great boys from a previous marriage that are 33 and 30. They're they're in good shape, doing doing great. I paid my house off. I've always played. I, I, I have a choice. You know, I can play where I want. I'm not a I'm not a prisoner. I was a prisoner of the road at one time, where I had to be on the road in order to make a living. I don't have to do that anymore. Now I've got a, and plus the music business has changed to where we all have control of what we're doing. You know, you you have control of what you put out video wise, as I do too on some of the websites that I teach on. So we've and the, and musically we have our own, I have my own publishing company I have my own record company, and I'm not not be getting getting rich but I'm actually fulfilling the passion and doing what I want to do. If I want to write a song and put it out there, I can and somebody's going to hear it. So you're attracted to the blues, right? Influenced greatly by it. But but you don't only play the blues. You play lots of different stuff. And they say that, uh, that sometimes the to feel the blues to play the blues you got to feel you know, kind of the lowest of the low. Have you had any dark periods in your life that um, you draw upon to kind of feel that passion, to feel that despair that sometimes the blues kind of talk about? Well, just, you know, you can't be, there's other, there's other things to life than that. You can't be really obsessed with it. I mean, it's, you have to have a, a goal, and not even a goal, it's almost, it's the journey, more or less. The journey is the deal. You know, it's not, back when you were a kid, you think, if I'm, oh, I want to be a rock star, you know, and, and you think it's a destination, you know, and you think, you know, you're thinking when you're 20 that everybody over 30 ought to be shot, you know, but then, but then later on, uh, you're finding out that it's just a, it's a journey and what you, what you leave and it gets to a certain point when you're young in the business 
You're trying to get out of the business what you can get. You're trying to get a break. You're trying to get a gig. You're trying to get this and that. Then, then I, I get to my age now. I'm 64 years old now, and I'm still, I still feel like I'm, I feel better than I did when I was 25. But uh, it's, it's not about hustling and getting the gig anymore. It's about what I leave behind you know, as opposed to that. I've met and talked to, to a lot of rock and rollers like yourself, like you've talked to a lot of folks that you know. And I don't know if it's still uh, still in vogue, but a lot of folks back in the day would uh, be tempted by drugs and alcohol and that sort of thing. And sometimes it would ruin their career, sometimes it wouldn't. But have you ever had to wrestle with that challenge? Have you ever been uh, tempted by alcohol or drugs? Well, I drank. I, I mean, I drank... Um, I was in a band a long time ago. We had the we were noted for having the biggest bar tabs in the southeast, and we 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 took that as a badge of honor, <laughs> you know. It, and back then it was fun. And we had fun. We partied. We had fun. Uh, we'd go out and play a gig, and then we'd party all night and come back and do it again the next day. If I did that today, I'd be in the bed for a month. But after when I turned thirty. It wasn't being fun anymore. There was, you know, the drinking was like I was starting to have problems. You know, I never did. I mean, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't go to jail. You know, I did. I did once, but that was a long time ago. Just and that was a stupid thing. But I didn't go to rehab, and I didn't. I didn't uh, go in the hospital. I mean, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't. You know, everything I did was just like it was just. It didn't feel good anymore. And so when I, when I after I turned thirty. Things were the drinking. The results of drinking weren't fun because before that you'd go out and party and everything was cool. You wake up the next day and do it again. But that, but then things were starting to happen. You know, you're starting to like wonder what I did with my car. You know that kind of deal. And I just I got tired of it. Another musician that was having the same problem had gotten some help and he got me some help. And and there was people that that helped me out and I'm and they're still helping me today. Who are some of the musicians that you've played with or that you've met in your career? Well, I did. A, I worked with a lot of you know shows with a lot of blues musicians. I mean, BB King is the one that I did a show with in '95 that I still have the big poster on my living room wall because that was just that was great. And then there's of course you know the, the legends on down. I mean, Buddy Guy, you know John Mayall, who's the father of British blues. Oh, yeah. You know, it was Eric Clapton. And Eric Clapton has had one heck of a career. He's been in like dozens of different bands. Is uh... well, and that's that's the thing. He's he's lived through it, you know, which is great. I mean, and he's and he's done that Bruce Springsteen has done the same thing you know being from Jersey and I and when I came back to Jersey I'd been seeing the Allman Brothers and I then I started seeing Bruce around and I was seeing him around town and he had a gig over at the Student Prince in Asbury Park and I remember my band went there on a Sunday night in between when he had a night off and we played there and then years later you know the story is I mean his album came out and, and Bruce was a smoking guitar player. He was he was leading a rock and roll band. He had long hair. He's playing guitar, you know, stomping around, just playing a, a gold Les Paul and letting it rip. And then when when the album came out, and a lot of people even on E Street Radio they talk about it. They say that the album Greenwich from Asbury Park. They were going, well, where did this come from? It was all this words and songwriting and all these songs, which yeah. were great. But it was like this is not the Bruce we we knew. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when he got signed, you know, and the story goes that he. Went to John Hammond, and they were going to sign him as a as a Bob Dylan type songwriter as a solo. Exactly, because he's a storyteller like Bob Dylan, right? And that's what and that's what they were going to sign him as. But what he wanted to do, and so what happened was, I mean, he wrote all these great songs, and the band built up around the songs, as opposed to having a band going out and playing up in a band and then trying to like learn songs or write songs. He already wrote the songs, and then the band came up around. So every song that 
you hear it a different different sound, a different timbre to it, a different whatever. It's it's wonderful that that, that can happen. Now I, I ask all musicians uh, this question because there are a lot of people out there who are, you know, want to be a rock star. I mean, young young people and and older people as well. Uh, what advice? What advice would you give somebody that wants to learn guitar and uh, and make a go of it? Do it because you love it. Just because you like to, you have the passion for it. it I, the only reason I started playing guitar, I was just I loved it. You know, I didn't care about I didn't care about anything that a lot of people care about. They think about you know, I mean, a guitar you can pick up women and chicks and all this other stuff, and yeah, and maybe that's going to happen. That it might, you know, but that's not why I did it. Some people that some guys that's why they did it. But that's not me. I just the music. The music just grabbed me. I mean, there's one thing about about playing passionately and, and being really good, and there's another one actually, you know, getting gigs, being able to go out there and get jobs. How, how do you do that? You gotta. You, you've got to be able to take a, have a business sense. I mean, you have to be able to take care of business. You know, it's not. The, I mean, there are so many guys out there that, you know, they had somebody leading them around, and maybe they their, their career. Maybe they they got screwed in their career. You know, I mean, to put it bluntly. It's not a matter of like, you know, like, hey, man, where do I plug in, you know, and, and, and that's it. You've got you to gotta have a handle on your career. You have to have a handle on doing what you're doing. Now, Roger, Roger came up at my uh, invitation and accepted it eagerly, and uh, he's been here, like I say, about a week. Uh, and you, you and I have traveled around a little bit throughout Kingsburg, but what are some of the memories that you have as you've traveled around up here with me? Both of Kingsburg and the Jersey Bay Shore. What do you remember growing up? Well, as my as my world grew, I mean, my, my as a little kid, I mean, I had the the block around where, where I was in in King. First of all, that was Kingsburg, because I had the creek, you know, where I my dad built me a boat and I learned how to you know do some boating and sw- and I learned to swim early in my neighbor's pool. Um, you had the boardwalk. You had you know that was my world. I mean, my world was inside Route Thirty Six. And you had in the summer it was just great. I mean, you had the the ice cream man, and you had the beach, and you had the you had ten TV stations, you know, and you had <laughs> the amusement park. I mean, you had the deal. You know, I had I had that. I thought everybody had that. You know, so I went away. To, I went away. To, I'll come back to that in a minute. But when I went away to Georgia to my relative's house to go away to school, they had three TV stations in Atlanta. I was going, what's up with that? You know. <laughs> The big town. First of all, they had three TV stations. <laughs> they had no beach. <laughs> they did have a couple lake beaches. Yeah, yeah. They had they had an amusement park somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't. But it wasn't it, it wasn't like that. But then, as I got a little older, you know, eight, nine, ten, I started riding my bike, and I would ride my bike to Homedale Park. Oh wow! I mean, I would I would go out over the old Thrill Hill and all that, and ride down Holland Road and coast down, and, and I, it was an all day thing, and it was it was amazing. It was it was like venturing. Got into the next beyond. I would ride my bike along Highway 36 and go up to Scenic Drive, and then coast back down Scenic Drive to Atlantic Highlands, and it was it was great. It was so my world was functioning then, but it was still inside Route 36 and maybe outside of it when we went shopping to two guys from Harrison over in uh, Middletown or or you went somewhere. My mom worked at Fort Monmouth, so you know I mean. And my dad worked, you know, over in Matawan. And you had Robert Hall there too. Yeah, Robert Hall was the deal, man. That was the, that's where you got the clothes. But I mean, my world as a, as a kid was all inside that little town, and and it had everything that it was. But for, but in the winter, it was horrible. It was boring for a kid. I mean, it was just like everybody was gone. It was a ghost town then. It was, and I mean, for a kid, it was like. But I mean, I, I got through it, and then you had then you had to go to school, you know, of all things. <laughs> but. Um, at, but then the sun, like I said, the summers were wonderful. But then I, I, when I left 
for those years to go away to school, and I wasn't driving when I left. And then when I graduated, and I used to come back for the summers and vacations, but when I came back permanently in 72, now I was driving. I was, you know, I'd grown about five feet. I was, you know, I was 18 years old. And so now my world is jumping out. Now I'm going to college at Brookdale and I'm, I'm driving out around the county and I'm going out and I'm seeing stuff that I used to hear about as a kid, but now it's all coming together. You know, and now I can go down to Asbury by myself and Long Branch and all that. And, and so the world was, was getting bigger. And, but then I noticed that the winter's, I embraced them. I loved it because there was nobody here. I mean, it was different. I wanted everybody here. And then in the winters now, it was like the beautiful, beautiful, clear, cold nights, looking out over the ocean. And, and just, ha- I was going, wow, I really, I really like this, you know, but, but I'd grown to like it as I grew up. And so I, you know, sort of, and then I got to like it. But as a kid, it was kind of tough, but because you didn't know, you know, I mean, there was kids that didn't know what, what to be at, you know, and that's what, what, what my folks instilled in me was that, you know, you want to have something to go go for. I mean, a, a lot of times when people, when kids get in trouble and they're out wandering the streets and they're, you know, maybe bullying or, or whatever they're doing, you know, it's just they don't they don't they don't know what to where, where to look. You know, and I had a, my dad was very very smart and he, he was you know uh, a mechanical designer. My mom was um, worked for an administrator at Fort Monmouth. She used to sign guys in and out going to the Vietnam War and everything. And she was very articulate. You know, she'll be 100 years old in January. I mean, her name is Darilla Wilson, and she was from Atlanta. And she's a, but she was very articulate, and she instilled in me, don't be an idiot. And uh, took care of business, to, you know, always dotted the I's, crossed the T's. I mean, that was her job. That was her, that's just the way she was. And, and you know, right now she's just comfortable and, and doesn't really remember anything about it. And she probably... But I moved her back in Georgia back in '96 when after my dad died in '95, so she's been back there ever since. It's an up, it's the upbringing, you know. And a lot of times, uh, I think that's why kids suffer because they don't have that. And I was very fortunate to have parents that cared about me and uh, pointed me in the right direction. There is a little town out on the Raritan Bay in the shadow of New York City. It's a little out of the way. It has a storied past. Maybe checkered, one might say, for those who spent their childhood here, there were many happy days. From the Polar Cup to Safeway, from Max to Dixie Lee, swimming at the beach, the boating on the creek, from the boardwalk to the pool, to the good old skate rink. There were so many good times there I don't have enough ink We are the pride of Kingsburg It's where we come from There's many of us still around We form a happy sum We got our french fries from the boardwalk And our clothes from Robert Hall I'm proud to say I'm from the bird Kingsburg had it all Left, although some are still there, the carriage.
characters we remember left their footprints everywhere. St. Anne's to KPS, memories are best in preparing us for life. Kingsburg put us to the test. We are the pride of Kingsburg, it's where we come from. There's many of us still around, we form a happy sum. We got our French fries from the boardwalk and our clothes from Robert Hall. I'm proud to say I'm from the Burg. Kingsburg had it all. I'm proud to say I'm from the Burg. Kingsburg had it all. written a lot of songs about uh, Kingsburg. Uh, uh, you lived on Howard Avenue and you wrote a song about Howard Avenue, which I particularly like. Um, what, what can you tell us about that song? Well, it was just, it, it was all the, I, I was trying to take in all the things that were around me. You know, I had my neighbors next door that um, lived in this bungalow. I mean, it, it was a bungalow that I'm like, well, the house we moved into had been built by the same guy. But my dad had it renovated and winterized and, and put together as a house to live in all year round. Well, these people had been coming down uh, 1930. I mean, they had been coming down for years. And this, it, their house was a bungalow, but they ended up moving into this house, and they were, uh, they were heating it with coal and kerosene. And it was freezing in the winter. I mean, it was just, but they, they lived there. So I, I, I sang about my neighbors, you know, and I, and I loved them to death. They were good people. Go to work each day My daddy had to drive Two hours each way In the evening I would see him Turn the corner in the 52 Dodge He'd park it on the street We didn't have a garage All us kids would ride our bikes Play ball and climb trees a share of scrapes and skinned up knees. Things would get better in the afternoon. We'd hear the bells of that ice cream man. He'd be coming soon. It was a simple time in my neighborhood. We were by no means rich, but we really had it quite good. We'd live forever if we only knew. But we had a good time down on Howard Avenue. Good friends with my neighbor, Anna Eberly. She would heat her house with coal and kerosene. Steve and Mary came here all the way from Italy. 
smell her Italian cooking up and down the street. Oh, Mr. Kaiser drove an old 20s Model T. He lived across the street from old man Flaherty. But old Mr. Ben would yell at me when my ball went in his yard. I never knew their stories, but I'm sure their lives were hard. It was a simple time in my neighborhood. We were by no means rich, but we really had it quite good. If we only knew But we had a good time Down on Howard Avenue We thought we'd live forever If we only knew But we had a good time Down on Howard Avenue You're a pretty prolific songwriter. Um, what kind of songs do you like to write? I think I know the answer, but uh, what do you say? Well, there's man, oh God, there's a, there's a bunch of them. I have one that uh, I'm not one for writing. You know, I, I'm not really big on love songs, and you know, like what I woke up this morning and I drank too much or something. I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not. It's a love song. Well, you know, but I mean, general <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. typical blues songs are. I just I, I like writing people. I like writing songs about people. You know, I mean, for instance, there are several songs. Um, I got to be friends with Andy Rooney from 60 Minutes uh, on CBS a number of years back. And I visited with him a couple of times and he, he appreciated my music, but uh, that he didn't know anything about music, but I always loved his writing. And so we, I got to know him and visit with him. So I wrote a song about him. in the army in World War II but didn't carry a gun his only weapon was pen and paper and he wrote about the heroes unsung he told us of the ravages of war the tragedy he saw if it hadn't been for Andy writing it down it might be forgotten evermore He can write about anything He could write about the head of a pen He can say some things to make you laugh Or get right under your skin He can talk about things that bother him And other things that don't He'll mention some of the things he does And other things that he won't Thank you, Andy, for getting me through By telling me in your own words Revealing your thoughts from all that's right To that which is so absurd We have a few minutes with you each week I wish we had a few minutes more Thank you, Andy Rooney, for setting us straight Through the truth in your own words
Andy Rooney is an American treasure, not to mention a household name. He would just raise his large eyebrows if I compared him to Mark Twain. Some amazing things come out of his mind. He would say I was out of mind. No matter what he's bound to say, you can set your watch by him on Sunday night. Thank you, Andy, for getting me through by telling me in your own words, revealing your thoughts from all that's right to that which is so absurd. We have a few minutes with you each week. I wish we had a few minutes more. Thank you, Andy Rooney, for setting us straight through the truth in your own words. Thank you, Andy Rooney, for setting us straight through the truth in your own words. There was an old blues man I wrote about years ago down in Atlanta. His name was Willie Guy Rainey. And he was 75 years old back in 1974 when I met him, and I was 21. And he played the old style of blues. I mean, you know, you just kind of, and I'd, I'd sit and play with We did some gigs. Uh, some uh, coffee houses, little festivals, things like that. And I just kind of follow him. And, and it was kind of like you're by the seat of the pants. And when he's playing, whenever he wanted to change, he would change. But I, but he he had such great soul. So I wrote a song about him. It's called I Never Got to Say Goodbye to Willie Guy because he died before I got to know him. There's another song I wrote, which is kind of fun. It's called You Do Your Job, I'll Do Mine because you get people coming up to the stage for you. You know, and they want to they tell you what to do or what to play and all that, you know. So I finally I just got I got tired of that and I said... I said, well, I'll tell you, I said, I'll tell you what, I, let, me, let me come down to your job, to your plumbing company, I'll tell you how to screw pipes. I'm sure you're real good at what you do. Between me and you, I bet you know that too. And I would say it's probably true.
all these well my record company is bluestormrecords.com which is the record company site all the music is there but hurricanewilson.com there's a, a, a tab there to buy music on my website there's an email address and you can email me and i can direct you to other links but it's pretty much it, it's available every pretty much everywhere and then and then of course there's the book uh, coming of age uh, 1967 uh, uh, interesting titles uh, hitting the road full-time stuff like that uh, without getting into a lot of details, can you give us kind of a, a summary of what the book is all about? Well, it's just basically the way I describe it is it's the uh, the story of a nine-year-old kid taking guitar lessons, starting out, and then where the musical journey has taken him into adulthood and around the country and around the world. So you're about to get on a plane to go back to uh, your town down there in Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. And you've been up here now for about a week. Um, what'd you learn? What'd you feel? What was it like? Well, it's always, I always enjoy it because I, I can ride down the street around the town and I can, I can pull out any memory anywhere of, of what I've been. I feel bad that my, my dad passed away so young. He was only 66 when he passed away in 95. And he was 11 years younger than my mom. And my mom is still alive uh, and doesn't really know. So, but my, my dad had embraced technology early on. He, was a, he learned as an apprentice as a kid to be a mechanical designer and a draftsman, and he learned the old-fashioned way with you know, slide rules and rulers and all that stuff. But he embraced technology so early on. He had one of the first AOL accounts. He had a, first, a computer when Radio Shack just started selling them. He told me when I was like a kid, he says, you mark my words, one day everything you do is going to be out of one of these, pointing to a computer. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> but yeah, here it is, you know. And, that, and then, like I said, I wrote a song about him called uh, I Don't Want to Come Back because he always said, I told him, I said, you ought to go on the road with me one time. I'm, I'm going to go out. And he says, yeah, if I go anywhere, you know, I don't want to come back. And then when he passed away, he didn't come back. And that was it. But he did get on the bus over there at Beachway one time, got on the bus, and he went out to New York City to hear a, a lecture by Ray Bradbury, the science fiction writer. And he loved that. He embraced H.G. Wells and, Pe- and uh, Isaac Asimov and all these authors and all that that he just loved. And he was very well read. And Ray Bradbury was the one guy that told that said that told us one day. He said, um, he says now one day, and this was in the seventies, about seventy one or so. He said they're gonna, we're going to be walking around with our logo, our libraries in our pockets and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's the way it is. That bothers me because if he was here. He'd be sitting here having a blast with us, yeah. downloading yeah. and doing social media, and tell. And he'd be finding stuff for us to do. He would he would be figuring out what to do, how to do it. 
So when I drive around town, and he was the civil defense director in 64, 65 in Keensburg. So I, I drive around with, with a sadness about that, but I can't dwell on it. I can't. I mean, it is what it is. So I, I, there's things I wish that he could be here to see and all that. But other than that, I, I love it. I love I love going to Dixie Lee Bakery. You know, <laughs> I love going to riding past the boardwalk. I love the beach. My, the other night after we did the the uh, event, you know, standing out there looking at New York City across the bay on a cold, clear night. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's nice. So I, there's a, it's it's surreal. I guess you, you got to say, you're you're a parent and I'm a parent, and uh, we, you know we like to give our kids uh, a kids advice. Um, what kind of advice uh, did you give? Would you give to your kids or any other kids for that matter about uh, living life? Well, first of all, don't you know? Don't get on drugs. You know, don't do that. Keep it clean, and just um, like a lot, a lot of folks will ask me, say, "Well, I have two boys; they're thirty-three and 30. And they say, "Oh, are they musicians?" And I'm going, "No, they're not." And they go, "Really? Why not?" And I said, "Well, I didn't push it on them when they were little boys. You know, I showed them my guitar, and I said, "Well, here, you know, this is what how it goes." And they were, they were trying to eke it out a, a couple of notes, you know, and, and I'm thinking. I really don't want to put them through this, you know. I mean, I, I, you got to kind of walk away from from everything, pretty much, uh, to to do this. I told them, I said, "Well, it's here if you want it," but I said, "What you got to do is you get whatever's in here. To me, is what you got to do, whatever that is." And you know, for them, my, my youngest son, he uh, went to school and he became a an HVAC thing, and he he's very much into into church and uh, reading the Bible and doing that. And my oldest son, just uh has just bought his own house with by, with cash and he's fixing it up and he's uh he's got a, a bachelor's degree that he took 10 years to get and but he was working hard from a, when he was 11 years old he was riding up to a dairy queen to work with no seat on his bike you know so i mean you got to just in, i just try to instill them keep it clean and 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 just go after what you want to go after you know and be passionate about it well, I also know that you, while you were up here, uh, and uh, before you got up here, you did something that I thought was quite moving. Uh, you had some folks that you knew that were buried in a local cemetery around here, and um, they didn't have grave markers, and, and you did something about that. Why don't you tell the folks what that was all about? Well, I'm just glad that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to come up to do this event and to be up here. But also, was, there was another reason I was here too. The member of the neighbors I told you about that I that, that were next door to me, uh, a mission in my that, that I was sort of on to. Uh, they they died as poor people, and they were buried over in Middletown, New Jersey. And uh, back they died when I was very very young, and I always you know wondered always thought about them. And then back in 1992, like 27 years ago, whatever it is, I I came back through on tour and thought I'd go to the cemetery and see them, uh, just kind of to their resting place and I got there and I was in shock to see that they had no markers at all. It was a husband and wife and her brother, two separate grave sections. The husband Jack was a World War I veteran. Here he is lying in there for years with no no stone, no nothing. And so that, I didn't obsess about it but it, you know, I thought about it periodically and this past year I actually approached the cemetery and, and the price to get some markers for them would have been exorbitant. When I, I went in there and explained the situation to them back in August, and uh, they actually donated the foundation for the stones and the stones, and I paid for the, uh, got a contribution account to, you know, fund the engraving. 
and those stones just got put in in the month, this month. So I was able to go over there and kind of sit with that for a little while and know that these people were accounted for. And even though they were, nobody know, that had no next of kin or anything. So, but I'm the only one that remembered them. And so I had some help and it, that, that was some closure. You know, it, this is all kind of, a, kind of a closure thing. You know, I mean, at least I know my friends that I knew when I was a little kid are accounted for. Uh, I came out to Kingsburg, you know, it's on the way up. You know, things are happening. It's, uh, it's good. So I, I feel it, it's like closure. I was just a small boy And I was the lady next door Her husband's name was Jack He fought in the First World War They came down from the city To the little house at the Jersey Shore They wanted to spend their days Happily forevermore Jack up and died Sometime in 1958 I was only four But remember it like it was yesterday Anna took it hard I was too young to know what to say She said you've got your whole life ahead Do your best and just enjoy each day She said you realize one day when you become a man She tried to explain life though I was too young to understand She planted that seed in me and she taught and guided me Those words of wisdom from my friend Anna Everly. only ten the day that Anna passed away it was very sad I lost a true friend that day I was beginning to see that life always gets its way After all these years, I can still hear Anna say. She said you realize one day when you become a man. 
tried to explain life though I was too young to understand She planted that seed in me And she taught and guided me Those words of wisdom from my friend Anna Everly Those words of wisdom from my friend Anna Everly Well, Roger, I, I enjoyed uh, meeting you and, and spending time with you and and playing music and uh, going through uh, Kingsburg and and learning stuff I didn't know. I, th- I thought I knew everything. I had spent three months in this town, and you taught me some stuff too. So, well, that's it for our show. Uh, I want to thank uh, Roger Hurricane Wilson. I want to thank you, of course, for watching. Thanks so much. I'll see you next time on Jersey Bayshore Country. Thanks for listening to a special edition of Roger Hurricane Wilson's American Music Show. Yours truly, Roger Hurricane Wilson, in an interview that I did back in November of 2017 on the Jersey Shore with John Schneider, a videographer that has a uh, TV show on the Jersey Shore and a website, wonderful website, with a bunch of great videos on there, jerseybayshorecountry.com. Be sure to check it out. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is roger at hurricanewilson.com, Twitter at rogerhurricanew, also uh Facebook under Hurricane Wilson, and there's a couple of pages, a like page and a group page. Until next time, keep it in the road.